everyone, and welcome to another episode of Positively Penn. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Danny Southwick, a current PhD student here at Penn. He's studying under Dr. Angela Duckworth. Danny studies what makes people successful and why grit, rather than talent, is more conducive to doing well in life. Danny earned his MBA at UC Irvine and his master's in applied positive psychology here at Penn. He also spent a brief time in the NFL in 2009 and has played over a decade of arena football. Thank you so much for being here, Danny. I've really been looking forward to having this conversation about an awesome topic that I'm sure we're all very curious about. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course. So something that I've heard you say is that talent is overrated. Um, I think this is pretty provocative because our culture seems to be really focused on tremendously talented and successful individuals like Michael Jordan, Bill Gates, Elton John. With that being said, will you explain what you mean by talent being overrated and why you think that is? Sure. Um, you know, first of all, I mean, talent is uh, really commonly used, but rarely defined. So people say so-and-so is talented, but if they were to say, well, why are they talented? They might say, well, they're talented. It's clear they're talented. They're, they're really good. Well, what makes them so good? Well, they're good because they're talented. And so what people mix up is they, they kind of confuse the independent and dependent variable, right? It's, it's circular. Mm -hmm. They're good because they're talented. I know they're, I know they're, they're talented because they're good, you know? And, um, and so one problem with talent is that it's rarely identified ahead of time. Like this is what talent is. We're going to operationalize it, meaning we're going to find a way to reliably measure it. And then we see that it predicts things over time. There's some, probably the best measure of quote unquote talent is IQ. And IQ is predictive in, in many different things. But when you look at experts, when you look at the extremities of possibilities for human beings, what makes like what people that are the best in the world, IQ actually predicts either nothing or very, very small portions of the pie compared to um, hours of deliberate practice that people um, invest in. Deliberate practice is, a, is kind of like the, the, it's a way that experts train. So, so when you look at what explains most of the variance among experts, what accounts for most of the expertise, at least the available data that we have show that measures of talent or what we think is talent um, aren't super predictive. So I do think it's overrated. And, and often um, we, we, we think, we say things are talent that might look like talent to us. So, so one, one common thing uh, when people identify talent is they say, well, you know, people that are talented and in our lab, you know, one way we operationalize talent is if talent exists, it should be that people learn faster. That's one thing Angela has said, um, which is, I think, a good uh, way to define it. However, um, a lot of things might look like talent, but that are, don't belong to the individual. So if somebody goes to a better school, if they have better uh, mentors, if they have more opportunity, they might learn faster, but it might, might not be anything that's innate or unchangeable about them. It might just be an aspect of their environment. So one thing we're looking at right now in our research is the role of individual ability in predicting quarterback success in the NFL. So Cade Massey, who's a researcher at Wharton, done some really interesting research on how hard it is to predict who's gonna do, he actually did this research with Richard Thaler, who's a I think Nobel prize winner, but, but they basically were looking at how hard it is to predict who's going to do well in the NFL, right? And um, one, one reason why it might be so hard to predict who's gonna do well in the NFL is that success is really context dependent. So when you look at somebody that's successful in one area and you think, well, that person's really talented. And then you put them in another situation, all of a sudden they're, they're not having the same amount of success. Well, why, what's going on? And, 
in our research, recent research on quarterbacks, we find that like the situation that a quarterback's involved in, whether the quality of their receivers, the quality of the, the offensive line that's protecting them, um, tends to explain two to three times more variance than, than any individual measure we can find that might be called talent. So that's why I think talent's overrated. What even is talent? Do we know? I don't know. And, and are we mistaking situational advantages for talent? And are we overlooking what happens when we put in ridiculous amounts of time we're practicing in the right way and what that can, what that can do? So, so that's why I think talent's overrated. Absolutely. I, question. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I loved when you said that because I think we do, we glorify these people who we just think are naturals. And I think that's, it's really cool to look at people who are really amazing and say, oh, well, they're just amazing. And that's admirable. But at the same time, learning that it really is more than just this natural talent is kind of inspiring because it gives us hope. Like we don't have to be the smartest or we don't have to be the most athletic, but we can still excel and become really great with, certain amounts of hard work. And then obviously there's contextual things as well. Um, but something that I heard you say was deliberate practice. And I think it'd be cool to, to learn more about that. So what does deliberate practice look like exactly? And how do you think all the listeners can go about doing more of that? Okay, and we'll answer that. Let me respond to something you said, because I think it was so true. Okay. When we think talent exists, we start making different predictions about ourselves. That's what I think our research is starting to, to unpack a little bit is that talent is really a prediction. You say someone's talented, what you're saying is, I think that person can learn faster. I think that person ultimately has more potential. And when we don't think we're talented, when something threatens our talent, we see a less bright future for ourselves. It affects our hope. I think that's what, yeah. that's our hypothesis. We need to do more research on it. But that, that's, I think you're, I, I really think you're onto something there, Madison. And, and so when we can get rid of this notion, like start questioning the assumptions about talent, because it's really, it's really, uh, I learned this word reified, um, <laughs> meaning it's something that we treat as if it's real. We, we take this abstract thing, we make it concrete. It totally exists. And we treat it as, as if it exists. And so therefore it exists, but does it. And once we can kind of divorce ourselves from, from kind of the, the hype around this idea of talent that we all seem to culturally accept, we can start to, uh, get into really what, what it is that makes someone excellent at something. And as I was describing in my earlier response, um, it doesn't seem to be anything that anyone could identify as talent. It really seems to be, that, at least in, in many different um, fields of expertise, the amount of, it, of deliberate practice that you invest in, meaning how much time are you putting in doing a specific type of practice? Now, let me say in, in advance, not any type of practice works, right? You can't just you know, go and sit in a classroom and expect to become an expert. That's not deliberate practice. Deliberate practice requires a few things. One, it requires that you're totally focused. You have to have full attention on the task at hand. Two, you have to have a clear goal of how you want to improve. So people might say, well, I, I wanted to, you know, run faster. And it's like, well, did you have a goal for how fast you want to run during this exercise period? Or did you have a goal for, you know, um, how much, I don't know why I'm on exercise, but how much weight you wanted to lift or or have a goal for you know, the, the, the type of problems that you, you wanted to solve on a particular test. If you don't have a goal, then, then you're not doing deliberate practice. The next thing is you need to have an opportunity for immediate feedback. So one reason why sitting in a class, even if you're paying full attention, isn't the same thing as deliberate practice is because you're sitting, you're receiving information, you think you know it. A lot of students might have that experience like, oh yeah, I heard the professor say it, made sense. And then you get tested and you're like, what? So that's why it's so important to quiz yourself. Because when you quiz yourself, 
you are getting feedback. I got that right. I got that wrong. And then you can start working on your weaknesses. What are the areas that aren't sinking in? And so that's the next aspect of of deliberate practice. And then the the final aspect of deliberate practice is that you are working with uh, an expert mentor that can help you get there. So, so you don't, you don't need to have this. Um, if, if you if you don't have access to an expert mentor, you can still do what um, Anders Ericsson, who's the researcher that came up with this concept, is called purposeful practice. And that's really, really effective too. But if you can have an expert mentor, if you have access to a tutor or something like that, or a great coach that knows the pathway to success, what they can end up doing is they can help you to, to shortcut the process of like, you don't have to, to figure out how to think about a particular problem, or you don't have to figure out what the best methods are to get good at something. They'll tell you in advance, which increases your learning rate, which by the way, just was going back to the beginning, going back to the beginning point I made is like increases your learning rate. People think it's, people might think oh, this person's learning fast. They're very talented. Well, no, maybe they have a great coach that's giving them the right advice. that's helping them learn faster than everyone else. And we just think it's talent, but really it's situational affordances, which speaks to, by the way, so many of the cultural problems and, and the ideas of equity and, and are, are we giving, uh, do we have, um, are we giving people uh, an opportunity to have the resources they need to, to maximize what, what they can do in life? And, and um, yeah, anyways, this, this, this thing, there's many layers to this idea of talent. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Thank you. So I, I think that some people might respond to this and say, okay, well, now I know what deliberate practice is. I know that talent might be a bit overrated, but just because I work really hard and get a mentor doesn't mean I'm going to be the next Kobe Bryant. So what do you say to people who may be skeptical about this notion and maybe doubt that they can be great because they won't be maybe the very best? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I and mean, that's something that people will comment. Say, I can't be Mozart or I can't be Kobe Bryant. My, my first uh, question would be, why not? I'll get clear <laughs> about that. Why not? Literally. Why not? Well, I don't have talent. Well, what, what do you mean? If you can't identify them, like so, but there are a few things that like someone like Kobe Bryant uh, or Shaquille O'Neal, or you can think of some other, that, that you know, other incredible athletes um, or people maybe in other fields, things that aren't, that we know aren't malleable, meaning they're not, you can't really change them with deliberate practice. So Kobe Bryant, I think was six foot six, no amount of deliberate practice will make you six foot six. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot, whatever, two or something, no amount of deliberate practice will make you that. Um, so there are, it is good to identify, um, to identify, you know, kind of what natural kind of proclivities that you, you, you have, it might be because of, you know, Andres Erickson would say it's really comes down to body size in terms of sports. And then he wouldn't put any limitations in terms of cognitive abilities or things like that, unless, unless obviously there, there are some severe challenges that some people face, but in terms of like normal, normal functioning people, he wouldn't put any limits on, on, you know, what you can learn in his theory. And I'm, I'm not uh, exactly saying that, but, um, but he has really compelling evidence. Um, so can you become any, can you become the next Kobe Bryant? Well, not if, probably not if you, you know, you're five foot three, it probably is going to be hard. Um, another thing is like, what, what are the available resources and time you have and what are you interested in? Right. So, so if, if you don't have access to limitless hours of practice and limitless mentorship and all those things, some things might not be feasible for you. Like, or, you know, some, uh, some skills require that you learn things in a, in a critical period. So like things like perfect pitch. And we used to think it was totally 
this innate quality. And, but, but now they find that if you train people in a certain way before a certain age, anyone can develop a perfect pitch, it seems. Um, so having training in the right time frame, are you training like, are, you know, you probably can't become a world-class ballet dancer if you're starting at age 45. Um, um, and then checking the, the resources that, that you have to be able to, to do things. So, so some people, you know, the reality of life is that we, other things come up, you know, we have family to take care of, or we have a job or we have things that don't allow us to, to engage in the deliberate practice in the way that would allow us to become world-class in something. But so what, so what, like, not, that's fine. We can still maximize the opportunities that we have. Right. And, and, um, I think that's the important message of deliberate practice that whatever you're doing, if you take these step, steps, you can do better. And, and if you, you know, don't limit yourself that think that you, you, you can't become great, I think is the message of this research. At the same time, um, don't, don't worry about what the, what the extremities of possibility are, right? Like, like right now, where are you now? And where do you want to be a week from now and two weeks from now and the best pathway forward? is to be very systematic in your approach to development, not to just think that because you're spending time doing a task that you're gonna magically get better. Set a clear goal, make sure you're getting clear feedback and where you can find experts who can guide you. And look for, by the way, here's another secret to life that Angela's taught me. Look for negative feedback. That's what deliver, like we always wanna get positive feedback. You did great. Well, you, that's fun to hear, but you don't learn anything on that, right? So it's, it's important to, to get in touch with what are the areas in which I, can improve and then make plans on how you can do better the next time. So I know we've gone over our 14 minutes. Never ask a PhD student what they're studying or interested about because you'll be here all afternoon. So. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this all afternoon. It's so fascinating. I mean, some of the things that I thought were coolest about this is one, seek negative feedback. That is so hard. And I think especially at a place like Penn where everyone here is so hardworking and driven, like it's hard for us to hear that we did something poorly, but we're never going to improve and be able to unlock that potential, like you were saying, if we don't seek that feedback. So I thought that was super important and something I've also learned from Angela that has really helped me in life. Um, so thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. I, I learned a lot and I know our listeners will have learned a lot. So I, I just think it's an awesome message and I hopefully can hear more about your research later when we have more time. Um, so to all the listeners, thank you so much for being here as well. Um, we will see you next time on the next episode of Positive Resistance.